0: Amen. Open your Bibles to John chapter 1 this evening. John chapter 1. We're eight days in. I woke up this morning. My voice was a little bit shaky. Um, I don't think it's the preaching think I'm going to have to slow down on all the singing we're doing. I want to say thanks to all of our band, our musicians. It's an effort to be here. We're thankful for them. What a great service we're having tonight. Now, tonight we continue in the good news recorded for us by the apostle John. Uh, In our study, he has made clear, and this is how we start, he's told us we have good news. No matter the circumstances of life, no matter how dire things may appear, we have good news. And then, better than that, he told us that the good news is Jesus, that Jesus is the good news. Well, tonight in our verses, he keeps building the case for people to believe in the good news of our risen Savior, Jesus Christ. That's what he's doing. He is building the case for us to believe in Jesus as our Savior. Tonight our message is entitled, The World's Greatest Introduction. The World's Greatest Introduction. Tonight we're in John chapter 1, verses 29 through 34. John chapter 1, verses 29 tonight through verse 34. 34, I'm going to ask if you would, if you would stand with me in the honor and the reverence of the reading of God's word, John chapter one, beginning tonight in the 29th verse, it says this, the next day he saw Jesus coming to him and said, behold, the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is he on behalf of whom I said, after me comes a man who has a higher rank than I, for he existed before me. I did not recognize him, but so that he might be manifested to Israel, I came baptizing in water. John testified saying, I've seen the spirit descending as a dove out of heaven and he remained upon him. I did not recognize him, but he who sent me to baptize in water said to me, he upon whom you see the spirit descending and remaining upon him, this is the one who baptizes in the Holy Spirit. I myself have seen and have testified that this is the Son of God. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Dearly Father, we come tonight, we're thankful for this night. We're thankful for this opportunity. We're thankful for this very hour. Lord, we pray that you are pleased in it, that you're pleased with it. We pray that you are glorified, that you're exalted. We pray that that your good news goes out in this hour tonight. Lord, we're thankful tonight as we've gathered that we have hope, that we do have good news, and it's not in a circumstance, not an event, but in the person of Jesus Christ. Lord, I pray now as, as we go into this time that you would speak, and I know it is a supernatural event, and so I pray that you, God, would speak to our hearts and to our minds that we have open ears to hear tonight. And I pray that that in the hearing of this night, we will be changed, we will be instructed, we will be transformed in the hearing of your word that's living and active, relevant for us tonight. Lord, I pray if there's one and perhaps many that will hear this tonight that do not know you, I pray in the hearing of the good news, the hearing of the gospel, that tonight, this very night, might be the night of their salvation. Lord, I'm thankful again for you. We're thankful for our Savior, Jesus. We praise you, Lord, and we give all this to you, and we bring it to you, and I pray in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Why did Jesus come? Why did Jesus come in flesh? Why did he have to come as he did? Why did he have to go to the cross and die? What a a strange thing that is. Why would he have to go to the cross and die? Why did Jesus come? Now, as we think about that tonight, we could have a lot of discussion about that. We We could bring out a lot of things tonight, but I want us to see the answer tonight is found in John the Baptist's proclamation of the Lamb. And as deep as are those questions, as deep as that is, we're going to see the answer is found in John the Baptist's proclamation of the Lamb. Why did Jesus come? The answer is known in understanding the Lamb. So we're going to see that tonight. Very quickly, let's go to our verses tonight. Tonight, I'm going to start with verse 30, and then I'm going to work my way down to verse 34. And then we're going to come back up and finish with the verse, the great verse, verse Twenty-nine. So again tonight, we're going to start in verse 30. We're going to work all the way down to verse 34, looking at those verses. And then we're going to come back and look at verse 29 uh, at the end of those verses. Now, as we begin tonight, remember John the Testifier, John the Baptist, is some 40 miles outside of Jerusalem, near a town, an obscure town named Bethany, baptizing with the baptism of Repentance. That's what we know tonight. Remember, there is quite a stir that is going on. There's there's quite a commotion that is stirred up. And and, and in Matthew, it says that people are actually flocking out to the Jordan River. They're actually flocking out to find John the Baptist. Well, this commotion prompts the Jews, the, the Jewish leaders there in Jerusalem, to send out a delegation to investigate. What is going on? They're hearing these reports. They're hearing these rumors come back to Jerusalem. And so they send out a delegation to see what is going on. More importantly, they're going to see who they are going to see. They're going to see who is this one that is causing such a stir. Well, remember from last night, the delegation gets there and John tells them he's not Elijah. He tells them he's not the prophet. He tells them very clearly he's not the Messiah. No, he's not the Christ. But he tells them he is the prophesied forerunner that would prepare the way for Christ. Now, again, that is a big thing. That is a big statement. He is the foretold of forerunner that would prepare the way for the Christ, for the Messiah. Then today, tonight's verses come the following day. All right, let's go to our verses, starting in verse 30 tonight. This is he on behalf of whom I said, after me comes a man who has a higher rank than I, for he existed before me. Now, speaking of Jesus, John the Baptist says, this is he of whom I said has a higher rank, a higher position, a higher status than I, for he existed before me. Now, remember the, the, the thing about John the Baptist. He, he was sent to witness, to testify, to bear witness to the Christ. Well, here he is, and we find him. He is witnessing. He is bearing witness to Jesus. Now, specifically, this verse, in this verse, he is saying this one is eternal this one existed before i did he's he's saying this one is eternal and because he is eternal he is not created he doesn't have a start he's not created in fact he is the creator himself and so he is saying in this simple statement this one is god now you want to make a testimony there is a testimony Jesus is eternal God. He is the creator of all. Now notice here, John the Baptist has just said what John the Apostle started his gospel with. He now is agreeing with the saint with the same declaration, "This is Jesus and he is fully God and all the things that go with that, and now we see Him and he is fully man. All right, verse 31. I did not recognize him, but so that he might be manifested, made known to Israel, I came baptizing in water. Let me read that again. I did not recognize him, but so that he might be manifested to Israel, I came baptizing in water. Now, John the Baptist makes an interesting, makes an important confession here. He says, I did not recognize him. I did not know that he was the Christ, that he was the Messiah, not with certainty. He actually says, I did not recognize him. However, but so that he might be manifested, that he might be made known, so so that he was ready to be known by Israel, I came baptizing in water. Now, I want you to see this again so we can understand this. John the Baptist, John the Testifier, his mission was to prepare for the Messiah. He was to prepare the nation. He was to prepare the people for their Savior. And how he did that was to lead them to see their sins. That's what he did. He led them to be aware of their sins. Now, more than that, to be sorrowful, to be broken over their sins, and and when they were, the sign of their repentance was that they would be baptized, and that's the ministry of John the Baptist. He came that they would be aware of their sin, that they would be brokenhearted of their sin, and when they agreed about that, the sign of their repentance was to be baptized there on this occasion in the Jordan River. Now, I said it last night, and it bears, I believe, repeating again tonight And that is this, you will have no use for Jesus. You will have no longing for Jesus. You will have no need for a savior until you see your sin. And you know what? We could talk about eternal life. We could talk about all the blessings of knowing Christ. We could talk about all the good things. But I I want to tell you, I truly believe that. You will have no longing for Jesus, for a savior, until you see your sin. Listen to me tonight, friend, be sure of this. That is why the world says what God has called sin is not a sin. Do you understand? That's the day we're living in. That's why the world comes along and says, that's no longer a sin. That's not a sin. We can't count that as a sin. That's why the world says the idea of sin is an outdated and irrelevant concept. Listen, that's what the world says. That's why the world comes along and throws the music at us and the TV shows at us and the culture at us and the society at us, and we begin to be comfortable in our sin. It is because as long as you're fine in your sin, you're fine without a Savior. And that's the plan of Satan. That's how he wants it. As long as you're okay in your sin, it doesn't bother you, you're fine without a Savior. Let me tell you this, you're going to need to know it. You want to know when a preacher or when a church is compromising the gospel, it's when they begin to compromise on sin. And we got churches and they're all over the place and we got preachers and they're all over the place and we say, well, it sounds like our gospel. Well, they say our words. Listen, you want to know when a church or a preacher is compromising the gospel, it's when they are compromising and they will not call sin sin. John makes the way for Jesus by calling people to see their sin. All right, John keeps going, verse 32. John testified, saying, I have seen the Spirit descending as a dove out of heaven, and he remained upon him. Now, in verse 32, it's referring to the baptism account of Jesus, Upon that event, remember that that account, the father says, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. And the Holy Spirit descends and he comes not as a dove, but like a dove, and he rests on Jesus. And the Bible says, and he remained upon him. Now, I won't stay here long, but let me just ask the question, how can we not profess a Trinitarian God. Our God exists as a Trinity in the Trinity. Uh, We see here in this one event, there is the Son and there is the Father and there is the Spirit and all three are present at the same time. All three are are working, doing things as individuals at the same time. We serve a Trinitarian God. All right, verse 33. I did not recognize him but he who sent me to baptize in water said to me, "He upon whom you see the Spirit descending and remaining upon him, this is the one who baptizes in the Holy Spirit." John the testifier again says, "I did not recognize him." That's he's saying, "I did not recognize him as the Messiah." But God the Father, the one that gave me this mission, the one that that sent me to carry out this mission, told me when you see the Spirit descend, the one upon whom it descends and the one that it stays, this is the one that baptizes in the Holy Spirit. Now we want to be sure here, to be marked by water is one thing, but it is a lot different to be marked by the filling of the Holy Spirit. The Bible says in Ephesians 1.13, when we are saved, when we trust Jesus, we are filled with and we are sealed with the fullness of the Holy Spirit of God. That's the biblical truth. We are filled with and we are sealed with the Holy Spirit of God. Well, John baptized with water, but this one, Jesus, he immerses, he baptizes with the Holy Spirit. Now, he has a big point here. He's making it. I'm going to go one more verse, and then, we'll, and then we'll bring it out. Verse 34, I myself have seen and testified that this is the Son of God. In verse 34, John the testifier says, I am sure I am certain, I am confident, I am not mistaken, I have seen it, and so therefore I am testifying, this is the Son of God. Now, Son of God is a title for the Messiah. It is talking about the divine Son of God. And and, and so we see here, uh, this is referring to the Messiah, the Christ. Understand, when we are saved, we become children of God, But there is one and only one Son of God, being in the same nature as God. And so as children of God, we're not God, but as the Son of God, He is God. And that is the message of this verse. He is God. Now, let me sum up the discourse that we've just traveled through. There's a a big point here. Let me sum it up for you. John the Baptist says, this one... I'm telling you is the Messiah is the Christ that's these verses we just looked at that's what he's saying this one I'm certain I'm sure I'm confident I haven't made a mistake. this one is the Messiah. however, I did not recognize him as such, but rather God revealed it. To me Now now be sure tonight, that is a huge thing. That's an important thing for us to understand tonight. He is saying he's not the Messiah because I thought he was. He's not the Messiah because I wanted him to be. He's not the Messiah because I named him as such. No, he is the Messiah at the word of God. He said that he's the Messiah. Now talk about a testimony. John the Baptist says, if you've got a problem with Jesus being the Messiah, don't take it up with me. Take it up with God. He's the one that proclaimed it. He's the one that's made it known. Okay, let's go back to this introduction now. Let's go back to the lamb now. Verse 29. The next day he saw Jesus coming to him and said, behold, the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. The next day saw Jesus come to him and he said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. The next day it says he saw Jesus. Now listen, it says Jesus. There is none other and there is no other than Jesus. That's what it says. This one, Jesus, this is the one we've named. The one that's born in Bethlehem the one that's in the line of David, the one that's raised in Nazareth, he came from a carpenter's home, the one that came out of Galilee. It's talking about Jesus, the Nazarene. It is Jesus, and so he sees Jesus coming to him. And he said, behold, that word is a powerful word. That word is a strong word. It means look. It's a word of exclamation. It says, do not miss this, see this, look. And so John the Baptist says, behold, look. The Lamb of God. In the Old Testament, when a person sinned, they would take a perfect unblemished lamb and they would take it to the temple to sacrifice. It was a payment for sin. It was killed for the sin of the guilty person. Also in the Old Testament, in the Passover event, a perfect lamb was killed And its blood was smeared over the doorpost, you remember the story, securing the deliverance for those inside the house. Now the lamb died, the lamb shed its blood, but those people inside the house, they lived. And and as you read across the Old Testament, it's full of this symbolism, it's full of this story, it's full of this, this account of the cost for sin. And understand, every time it happened, every time someone went to an altar, every time somebody went to the temple, every time somebody observed the Passover, it was a strong reminder that it was a total sacrifice for sin. It ended in death. It was a reminder that it was a costly sacrifice for sin at the cost of the lamb. It was a reminder that it was a bloody sacrifice. There was no way to hide the cost of sin. And every time it was done, every time it happened, it was a reminder, it was done in the place of the guilty party, the lamb that had never sinned died, and the guilty party went free. Remember the question, why did Jesus come? Listen very carefully tonight. The answer is found in the lamb. You see, the Jews... Wanted a military leader. Oh, at this time in history, that they would have a military leader, that he would be strong and mighty. But God sent a lamb. You see, at this time, the Jews wanted a great new king that would rally hope for the people, that would pull the nation together. Oh, that we could go back to the days when our king was great. But God sent a lamb. The Jews wanted another prophet. Oh, that we would have another prophet like Moses and he'd put God back on our team. He'd put God back on our side in this battle. They wanted a great prophet. Send a prophet, Lord, that you would be on our side. But God sent a lamb. Hear me tonight. You see, the need of people, all people, is not political. It's not economic. The problem of people is not in Rome and it's not in Washington, D.C. The problem of people is not a lack of education. It's not a lack of opportunity. It's not a lack of self-esteem. The problem of people is sin. And in sin, we are doomed. In sin, we are dead. We are condemned. In sin, we are cut off, hopeless and helpless from a holy and perfect God. In our sin, we are perishing on our way to an eternal death. Listen to me, dear friend. That is my problem. That is your problem. We have rebelled against the holy God. We've rejected a holy God and we have sinned and we can do nothing about it. We have sinned and our fate is set. We have sinned and our punishment is earned. We have sinned and our guilt is just. We have sinned and our problem is sin. And so God sends the remedy for sin, a lamb. He sends the lamb. Verse goes on and says this, who takes away the sin of the world. We, we could look at a lot of things here. I want to look at two phrases, two words in that part. Who takes away the sin of the world. The first thing I want to notice there, takes away. In the original language, in the Greek language, it means to remove, listen, to pull away, to take upon yourself, to take upon oneself. And so here, here's the good news tonight Jesus removes our sin. Listen, Jesus removes our sin. He doesn't cover it. He doesn't decorate it. He doesn't excuse it. He doesn't overlook it. He takes it upon himself and he removes our sin. Listen, I don't know what your life is like, but that is good news for me. He removes our sin. Jesus, my sins are removed. They're gone. They're finished. They're settled in Jesus. Second thing I want to point out, it says of the world. He removes the sin of the world. Takes away the sins of the world. I want you to look at this. The the, the word world here, we looked at the other night, it's the word cosmos. It's not the planet. It's not the ball of dirt that we're riding on. But it's talking about the world. It's talking about humanity. God created, God created humanity. It's talking about humanity that He loves in John 3:16. That's going to keep coming up in the Gospel of John. The sins of the world, be sure and get this tonight. Jesus removes the sins of the world. Now, that's not talking about a a universal salvation. It is received individually in faith. But I want you to hear what this does mean. It means there is no person he did not come to save. There is no person that he has not carried away their sin in the cross of Calvary. And no matter who you are, and no matter where you are, and no matter how great your sin, Jesus died for you, and that is... Is good news. I want you to picture this. I want you to think about this. This event begins because of a stir. Because of a commotion, and some forty miles from Jerusalem, there at the Jordan River, the Gospel of Matthew says, "And Jerusalem was coming out to him." That's what it says. It doesn't say there was a few folks that drifted out. It says, "And Jerusalem was coming out to him," and it says, "And all Judea." was coming out to him. And it says, in all the district around the Jordan. And so Jerusalem is coming out to him. And Judea, all of Judea is coming out to him. And all the neighboring area, the district around the Jordan, they are coming, the Bible says, and they are confessing their sins. They are admitting their sins and being baptized. I want you to picture this. These crowds of people are making their way to John the Baptist. These multitude of people, they're trampling their way to the Jordan River. And I don't know, maybe they're traveling in groups, and maybe they're traveling in caravans as they come down and travel this 40 miles. I don't know if you could hear their conversation as they were passing by the idle words that they would say. And maybe they are there on donkeys, and maybe there's donkeys in the procession, and they have passengers on their backs. Or maybe they're individuals and they're walking alone. Maybe there's some that aren't in the pack and they're, they're walking alone in solitude. And maybe some of those folks are moving faster than other people. Maybe they're more purposeful in their journey. And maybe some of them are moving more slowly and they're, they're plotting their way. And maybe some of them are young and they're too young to have such a weight on them. And maybe some of them are old and they're showing the, the wear of time. And the reason they are all going is their sin has crushed them. Their sin has become too heavy for them. And maybe it's in sadness they walk and as they walk along, maybe tears are falling from their face and whether they're in this big crowd or maybe they're moving as an individual, tears are falling. Or maybe they travel the way and they're, they have regret in their stomach and a knot has formed in their stomach. And maybe as they walk, everybody knows their sin and their sin goes before them and it flies like a flag. And as they make the journey, everybody goes, I know what you've done. I know your sin. And maybe as they make the journey, no one knows their sin. And the the secret is so deep that it's a, a burden inside of them. Oh, they would be ruined if anybody knew. And it is the heaviest procession ever and people that are saddled with guilt and shame and regret and pain are making the trip and they found no relief. They didn't find any relief with the temple. They didn't find any relief with the priests. They didn't find any relief with the Pharisees and their system of works. They found no relief. And like David, their sin is ever before them. And they hope maybe in this I'll find relief. Maybe I'll find solace in this. Maybe there's peace ahead. And so they make their way to this sad, heavy caravan. And then on this day, As sad sinners trudge slowly forward, on this day as sad waters mark their regret but does nothing to help for their relief, Suddenly on this day, there is a shout and it is a shout of hope and it is a shout of promise. We need a lamb, we need a lamb. And there are these sinners who've made their way, lost in their sin, guilty in their sin, weary of their sin. They hear, look, 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 the lamb of God which taketh away our sins, the sins of the world. The announcement is made. Sinners have their lamb. Sinners have their lamb. Let me ask you tonight. Have you met the lamb? Have you received your lamb? Are you still carrying the weight of your sin? Are you still under the guilt and the condemnation, the shame of your sin? Have you met your lamb? Because in the death and the burial and the resurrection of our Lamb Jesus, it is settled. Have you met our Lamb? Let's pray. During Father, we come. We're thankful tonight. We, we have peace tonight. Available in you, not because we're good or we earned it, we did something. We have the forgiveness of our sins, the remedy for sin. We praise you for that. We thank you for that. Lord, I pray that in hearing this tonight that we are excited about our Savior, that we're thankful for our Lamb. We're astounded at your compassion and your grace. Lord, I pray if there's one here that doesn't know, the Lamb doesn't know you. And standing under the condemnation of a holy God, standing in the guilt of their sin, that tonight they would set it at your feet. And that tonight they would turn to you for the forgiveness of their sin. Lord, we, we hear this and We praise you. We worship you. We thank you. We have, Lord, our lamb. Thank you. Lord, and in that lamb's name, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to close our service with a time of response, a time of invitation. And I truly believe I say it every night. I'm going to say it again tonight. It's the most important time of our service, the time to respond to the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. The good news of the gospel is this. We've all sinned, all of us. We stand in our guilt and our shame. Some of it everybody knows. Some of it nobody knows. But just the same, it's been paid for in the blood of our Savior, Jesus Christ. If we will turn to him, we will be forgiven, restored, renewed, made right, redeemed in our Savior, Jesus Christ. If if you're here tonight and you've never done that, do that tonight. If you're here tonight and you're hearing this tonight and you've never done that and you're, you're sitting there crushed as were these folks under the weight of your sin, turn to Jesus. Turn to Jesus. He will forgive. Maybe you're here tonight and you're looking for a church home and you've prayed about it and you believe God's led you here. You come tonight. We'll, we'll unite together. We'll serve Him. Maybe you're here and you've made a decision but never fought on believers' baptism. And you need that testimony to stand in your life as well. Maybe tonight you want to come pray to an altar. Maybe you want to pray for somebody that's lost that you're praying for. Maybe you want to come pray with me here. We're not in a hurry to get out of here. I want to ask that Norman an exit will be done in just a moment. But as we stand and sing, if you have a decision to make, if God has spoken to you, you step out. You come on. I'll meet you here. You come on. I'll meet you here.